Hello, welcome to the GSBA podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and here with me are Angela and Scott, your lobbying professionals. Today, we're going to discuss where things stand with the General Assembly at this point through the session. So, Angela, Scott, what's going on? We're, this is, these are different times right now. Um, help us understand what's going on. These are yeah. different times. It was a way different crossover day. Last Thursday feels like a million years ago. Yeah, um, it was. Last Thursday, it was, yeah, feels like a million years ago, and it felt like that day itself was five days. Yes, it did. It was a very long day. Um, there were rumors all over the place. Um, I got there a little bit later. I was in Macon at a workshop before I came to the Capitol, and there was not much traffic headed in, uh, so there weren't a lot of people around. Uh, the Capitol was emptier than I have ever seen it on a crossover day. Oh yeah, I mean, you usually see you know hundreds of people's in the, people in the hallways, and I looked up at one point that morning, and I counted twenty five people. Wow! And it was it was mm -hmm. dead. Yeah, because usually you you have to wiggle your way down the hallway. Um, to get through the, the people and because they're standing on the side of the ropes and of course the legislators on the other one and, and to make your way through there it's really tight normally um, and the rumors started almost immediately um, my favorite was that at two o'clock it was over um, and we were all going home I was really looking forward to the two o'clock ending that did not happen <laughs> what time no. did it actually finish up the Senate finished what around six or seven, sometimes in the, sometime in the early evening, and the House finished a little after midnight. Okay. Yeah, it was, and it was almost one when I got home. Yeah. So yeah, because since the Senate left, and since all day long there had been the rumors, and by that time, we knew I don't know maybe around two or three that they were going to suspend. The session, they had already made the announcement in late afternoon that they would be back the next morning for a very quick session. And after that, the session was suspended. So we kept thinking, okay, the House is just going to do what they need to do and go home. And well, they did what they felt like they needed to do, but it took them much longer. They did a lot more bills than I thought they were going to take up. Yeah, I mean, we looked up at one point, gosh, middle of the afternoon, late in the afternoon, and the House had done nothing they had done nothing they'd been out they'd been discussing what they were going to do and i thought i mean angela had this discussion hey there's no way that they're getting a lot done today there's just no time they're they're, they're going to leave soon it's and then they proved us wrong by sticking around till after midnight yes i mean they were clearly the two chambers clearly were talking to each other uh lieutenant governor and the speaker and talking to the governor's office because the governor had also announced he would be holding a press conference that afternoon and so which was also an was eerie. going to happen yeah um, that press conference was also eerie too because you're looking around the capitol and everybody literally everybody in that room was looking down at their phones or ipads or computers watching this press conference wondering what in the world is going on and what's going to happen mm -hmm. yeah because he did it in a ceremonial office it wasn't out in the open so we were all just watching to see what was going to happen. The speaker and lieutenant governor were down there with him. And it was a long time before they came back upstairs. And when they, they did, 
the lieutenant governor made the announcement about the suspension fairly quickly, but the speaker took a little bit longer before he acknowledged it. Um, and then um, he was very emotional about the whole thing, especially when he adjourned the chamber that night. Um, he was got very emotional as he spoke about the circumstances and the emergency situation um, and having to leave. So um, it was having a big impact on him, definitely. Oh. So what 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 are some of the specifics as you guys came out of that day um, as it relates to some of the bills? Yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. That, that day, I mean, th thinking about the bill, you know, that kind of almost as much as actual legislation in a state legislature could take a back seat, it did. I mean, it felt like that was secondary to what was going on. But I mean, they did. They 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 passed a lot. I mean, there were a lot of bills that made it through. A lot of didn't make it through. Um, the biggest one that we saw actually came through several days before the special needs voucher, um, which. If you've been following Capital Watch, you've seen uh, plenty about and, and where that goes from here, we don't know. That's probably one of the bigger ones that's kind of up in the air along with the budget, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, mm -hmm. I think yeah, once. Speaking of the budget, the first thing they, they did, and we thought, okay, they've gotten this out of the way. They were sure they got that done. Um, they agreed on the supplemental budget, which the governor actually signed yesterday. So that one is completely done. Um, and we'll get to the 21 later. but. Um, the special needs voucher bill, um, the feeling in the House and the Senate are quite different around vouchers in general terms. Um, so they expanded it, as you've read in Capital Watch, to other categories. And so it's in the House's hands now um, <clears throat> to see what happens. We're not going to go into the details of that. We've written about it. So Yeah. But the, just a quick question about that. You, you talked about the votes being split down essentially for the most part, I know there were a couple of exceptions that um, down party lines. Mm -hmm. uh, I know GSBA did kind of a big call for for board members and superintendents to reach out to their legislators. Did did you did did obviously didn't have a tremendous effect like it has in the past? Um, mm -hmm. but were they hearing from some of 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 their board members and superintendents? Um, not a lot of them talked about it. That was another one of the weird, this session has just been strange, period. Um, and the morning of the Senate vote, the Senate chamber just felt very odd. Um, it was very quiet. They had that one the first on, on their calendar and I figured they were just gonna go ahead and get that out of the way so they didn't have to deal with, with us pulling them out in the hall all day long um, and fighting over that. Um, also, with it being first on the agenda, um, they might be able to get some votes um, because other people's bills were later down, and if they didn't vote the way they wanted, then they might or might not get their bill called um, and have support for it. Uh, so they went ahead and did it, but it was just very quiet. It was, there was no celebration from the side who wanted it. There was no happiness or real passion on the other side. It was a very matter of fact, just business, silent kind of a thing with, with minimal people talking. But um, yeah. Renee Unterman, uh, the senator who presented it, whose bill it was, presented the bill. And uh, let me see, um, Senator Elena Parent uh, spoke from the Democratic position. 
I think the minority leader spoke. He did. Um, some other Senator senators, spoke. yeah, some of the Republican senators gave Senator Unterman some support, but either they spoke or they gave her questions that she could favorably but, but even then, the, the debate itself was limited, and, and you sometimes see these fiery speeches when these voucher bills come up, and there was no fire, there was no, there were a limited number of speakers. It just seemed like kind of a matter of fact, like, hey, we're, we've been through this before, we're going to vote, let's just get to that point. Mm -hmm. It was very perfunctory. It was just so. Um, I, so I don't know. It, it was a different kind of vote, and um, I know that school board members were calling and emailing and superintendents and other educators. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. You're right. It didn't have the same kind of uh, impact. So. Well. Okay. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that's another one of the bills that. Um, the rural task force that GSBA had um, over this last year and it's continuing this year that Justin and I have been working with, one of the recommendations from them last year was um, to try to get a return to work um, for 100% of the time for employees, um, for them to be able to tap into another pool of employees. So uh, House Bill 336 did that and it did pass the House um probably not the way a lot of districts wanted it there's some restrictions in it it's more limited uh it's limited to those highest need areas for your RISA as determined annually by the department of education and the professional standards commission um so the areas could differ across the state i think there's some that are always going to show up um but it's uh, pre-k through 12 the employers would have to pay the TRS portion of, for the both the employer and the employee. Um, so anyway, that is through and it's in the Senate. Yeah, I think uh, touching on another bill that was a little bit of a surprise that it got through was uh, Senate Bill 349, which the, uh, requires, Angel knows where I'm going with this, requires each school to put out uh, feminine hygiene products. Um, it got out of committee, but it sounded like, you know, maybe political posturing to get it out of committee to kind of give someone a favor for a particular vote on a particular voucher bill. <laughs> um, the tricky thing about this one is it requires that these feminine hygiene products are placed in schools, but there's no funding. It's not subject to appropriations. There's no funding in the bill for this. So uh where this goes uh, i don't i don't know i don't know if that'll be changed on the house side or or if they'll yeah. take a further look at that or what because we were expecting the uh the version that went to the floor to include a subject to appropriations last year in the budget in the 20 budget they put in a million dollar grant to go to doe for them to distribute the products to the districts and i don't expect to see that money again. I mean, it, it was a one-time thing, so it doesn't have to be continued. Um, and it had not shown up in the 21 budget that uh, that we've seen so far. No, I mean, the DOE staff uh, testified at one of the hearings and said that they had, you know, through this current pilot, they'd given out money. And, and that at this point, I mean, midway through, at, at that point anyways, midway through the, the school year, they had not run out of money and they still had some. They were able to give some Angel, correct me if I'm wrong, but they said they gave it to every, at least some to every school district. 
Um, yeah. so, so each district got some. Um, where this actually goes, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know yeah. what this is going to look like. Yeah, it was a uh, Senator Donzella James bill in the Senate, uh, who was a Democrat. Uh, so, uh, and um, House Education Chairman Rick Jaspers is not big on unfunded mandates. Uh, so I don't know how that will be fair over there. We also had a couple of bills about teacher evaluations, uh, going from very different tactics on it. Uh, one was a House bill, House Bill 86. This was revived from last year. Last year, they couldn't get it out of the Rules Committee. They attached it to a Senate bill, and the Senate wouldn't accept it, uh, among other things. Um, and so at the very last minute, it suddenly surfaced again in House Education. Uh, this one requires each district. It doesn't require the board to adopt the policy, but it requires each district to have a complaint review policy so that if an educator gets a needs improvement, unsatisfactory or ineffective rating, then um, this review policy would kick in and they could have an independent third party or an administrator named by the district um, to review it. Um, the bill includes requirements that have to be included in the, um, in the policy. Uh, we don't have any kind of independent third-party things or a review of evaluations, and I've never seen any company or organization that allowed um, the supervisor's evaluation of employee to be challenged like that, but there you have it. So it's in the Senate now, and Scott, the Senate had one of their own. They did. Uh, this one was actually requested by the Department of Education, and it would remove the uh, was, I forget the the exact wording, but it's like the needs improvement or needs further needs development. <laughs> needs development. And they they removed that from the criteria that would trigger the loss of uh, certification to kind of help when you get that kind of needs development area, you can actually provide the development and help the teachers grow as opposed to just uh, triggering the loss of certification. Uh, DOA asked for that one that kind of sailed through. Um, seemed with, with mm -hmm. little issue. Um, and one other bill kind of that sailed through, and I'm going to backtrack a few session days here, just as a reminder, is the, uh, the uh, testing bill, the governor's testing bill that was carried by Chairman Martin in the Senate. That made it through, I think, on day 23. Um, so that's over in the House. Um, but speaking of Chairman Martin and testing bills, I'm going to pivot a little bit to bills that did not cross over, including his bill that uh, Senate Bill 486, which would require each school to offer the either the SAT or ACT to each 11th grade student. Um, that didn't make it over. It made it out of committee, and that didn't make it over. Um, Angel, do you have any, you want to kind of expand on that a little bit, kind of what that one did? Yeah, that one um, seemed to be, that was obviously supported by the College Board, which delivers those assessments. Um, and so the pitch for it in the Senate was that this is an attempt to help lower income students have access to the test that uh, a lot of times they don't take it because they don't have uh, transportation to get to the testing site uh, and have uh, problems paying for the exam. So they wanted it to require, to require it be given in any school that includes an 11th grade class and um, it would be subject to state appropriations but it would also have to be given during school hours. And right. that was a real sticking point. That was uh, an amendment 
that was made in the committee, um, we didn't see it until they brought the substitute bill when it was finally voted out. But um, that was a, that became a real issue for some people that because the tests are like three hours long. So by the time you set that aside, and not all the students would be taking it's only the students who want to take it. So the schools would have to take half a day of instructional time, set aside and set up the environment for the test, and at the same time provide um, instructional activities for the students who aren't taking the test. And so it could end up being a, a real struggle for the schools, even if the state's paying for it. So um, I was not sorry to see that not come out of the Senate. Um, I understand they were trying to help the poor kids, um, but it seemed odd when we're trying to decrease the number of tests and we're also trying to make sure that we emphasize technical college as much as the post-secondary option as we do college. And if yeah, we're going to require this be given during school time, then it seems like we're negating what we say about yeah, the technical the, side. The main pushback I heard was around that, that school day issue. There, there was mm -hmm. talk of maybe adding in the, hey, you can do it on the weekends, you can do it on a Saturday too. And, and I think some folks who, that were supporting that bill uh, didn't like that. But, but I think I heard one of them say it kind of defeated the purpose of the bill. Um, yeah. Which. Yeah, I want to go back to the uh, Senate evaluation bill for a second, Senate Bill 466, because it also includes a pilot. Um, there have been a lot of discussions about we need to reevaluate our evaluation system because right now it seems to be very punitive. And so the other half of that bill is to create a pilot that would allow the state superintendent to select 10 districts who have applied. It would be a competitive uh, process to select the 10. Um, and they would create an alternative evaluation process that would include supports, professional development, recognition of highly effective teachers and a way for them to progress. And I think that's something that as a state, we do need to look at um, whether it's this bill or, or some other way, but we need to do to look at our evaluation system. So then the other bill that did not get through, um, we were kind of surprised by the time all was said and done was the Tim Tebow bill on the House side. House bill 1055 was on the calendar but it was left on the calendar when the house adjourned. Um, although I will, yeah, I will give you a word of caution though to remind you that last year the Senate bill crossed over into the house. So house education, if they decide to pursue it, does have a vehicle in their committee that they could just change the language in Senate Bill 163 to the language they had in this bill. Yeah, it, it didn't cross over, which is interesting because it was a chairman's bill. I mean, it is from Chairman mm -hmm. Jaspers, and he you know, worked hard on this. Um, but you're right, though. They can take the Senate bill from last year. It, it is interesting. There's, there are two schools of thought on this. seems like Senate likes their version. Obviously, Senate likes their version. House mm -hmm. likes their version. And there's not really an appetite for the other chamber to take up the other version. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over these next few days, weeks, months, however, you know, however long that is. Um, what negotiations will go on there, if there are any, or if they'll just say, hey, this is dead for this session, we'll come back next year and do it again. Yeah, because right now the session is very much in question. We don't know when they will come back um, exactly, um, and or when they will come back to continue the session, shall we say, and what that's going to look like. Um, 
the primary is May 19th and they can't campaign or fundraise while they're in session, even if it's suspended. So they're in a quandary too, not to mention their concern over uh, the circumstances at the moment and the emergency uh, with the coronavirus spreading. And just before we started, I saw that we'd had two more deaths uh, from coronavirus um, down in Southwest Georgia. So we've had three deaths now. Um, we're up to 197 uh, confirmed cases, according to today's report from the Department of Public Health. So there are a lot of concerns about the health of Georgians, certainly, and also about the business climate and what, what people can do. So um, the legislators have all that on their minds, as well as the governor. And uh, so the session itself is just sort of... So, so all the things we talked about, as important they are, as they are in a normal session, right now that's not the case. So I just wanted to, to back up and talk about the suspension. Um, that actually occurred on Friday after crossover, is that correct? Um, Thursday they announced it and at the end of Friday uh, it, that began the suspension at their end, end of their Friday session. So okay. day th uh, they will come back at day 30. They've had, we've had 29 days of this. Okay, they'll come back day 30, but we just don't know. Obviously, given the circumstances, we just don't know when. No, we don't know when. I mean, there are rumors, you know, talk, going back to the earlier discussion, rumors everywhere. Um, and I think this, I think a lot depends on how serious this thing gets. Um, if they can, you know, flatten the curve is the, the saying of the day. Um, if they flatten the curve and things, you know, mid-April look better, then they'll, you know, they'll come back in and they'll finish the session. But we also heard a lot of talk of, hey, it's going to be summer before this thing changes. It's going to be, you know, we're looking at a June resumption of the session or right right up there at the end of the fiscal year. Um, there's also talk of, hey, if this thing is bad, we're going to come back, we're going to pass the budget, and we're going to go, and we're going to forget the rest of the stuff. Uh, um, mm -hmm. So there's still a lot hanging out there, what, yeah. what this could actually end up looking like. So... <clears throat> If I may, um, it looks like I think we've covered bills from crossover day that did pass and that did not, that made it, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to another day. Um, and we've touched on this a little bit now uh, around the COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, I'd like to transition kind of into that response, that state response, the federal response. Um, at this point, let's just start with the state. As you guys have, have obviously, you were keeping tabs on what was going on on Monday um, with the, the, the special session or the special vote that they had. Talk us through a little bit of that and, and then kind of what you guys have seen from a state response. Um, I, first of all, I, I'd like to say, I think the governor's done a, a great job with this. Um, remaining calms, uh, modeling behavior, I guess, that, that he talks about is everybody just be calm, take common sense measures, follow the guidelines that are being put out at the federal and, and state level. Um, he's been very transparent. He was having press conferences or sending out information every day while we were still in session and has continued to do that. Um, so I think that has been helpful. 
Um, he's been kind of restrained when you look at some of the other states around the country that um, have closed uh, restaurants, bars, businesses, um, stopped funerals. Um, I mean, just a wide variety of reactions around the states. And some of them are having a much um, higher level of this hitting than, than we are. Um, I, I think that this, the Senate and the House were both, um, I think they were reluctant Thursday. Um, I, I don't think anybody wanted to say, okay, this is so bad that we're just gonna have to stop. But at the same time, with the spread of it, uh, there's 180 people in the House, 56 in the Senate, um, plus all the lobbyists in the, in the people. Um, and so it really wasn't workable for them to continue. But uh, let's see, they left on Friday morning, Saturday, the governor declared a public health emergency. Um, and the constitution requires that if he declares an emergency, he has to call the General Assembly back into a special session to ratify that declaration. So that's what happened Monday. They came back to ratify it. I thought it would be really fast. <laughs> and they would say, okay, we understand. I mean, they had just suspended their own session. So clearly they understood the issue. Um, so it took them, uh, they started at eight o'clock that morning and it took well into the afternoon before they came to agreement on the terms of the ratification. Um, Scott, were you surprised it took so long? I was, I thought it was gonna be a rubber stamp. I thought this would be something that came in, they came in and, and already had, basically already had figured out and said, all right, we're gonna pass this, we're gonna mm -hmm. go home. I was honestly kind of surprised that there were that many members there that day. I thought this would be more of a, hey, get enough here that we need to have to, to have business and, and then let's go home. And it, it, I mean, obviously wasn't the case. Did you guys hear it all or, or get any inclination of what the sticking points may have been? Um, yeah, you could tell right away what, what it was. The Senate started and they had a, a resolution that they adopted and immediately sent over to the House. Um, and in the Senate version of it, um, it was kind of open-ended, ratifying the governor's decision. And it, it, uh, I think they had through April 13th. And should he need to continue, then he could renew it. And when it went to the House, there was some balking. Um, they didn't want to leave it quite so open-ended. Now, I, I would say here that sometimes when they do things, it's not it, to protect their own turf or to argue with the person who's in office. It's, it's protecting the responsibility of the office they hold. Um, the Georgia governor typically is very powerful and, and it has not been all that many years when the House gained some independence from the governor's office. Um, it was while Tom Murphy was speaker. And so sometimes they do things to protect the constitutional responsibilities of the body itself. So I don't know that it was against what the governor wanted to do so much as it was protecting. I haven't talked to any of them, so I have no idea. I'm just making this up. Um, have a lot of time on my hands to think about it. Um, but I, I could see where they would want to say, okay, the General Assembly has a responsibility and we can't just turn it over to the governor and walk away. We have, we should do it this way because once you do it, you've set a precedent for how it should be handled. And 
if they were a different governor or a different kind of governor, then they might not be so willing to walk away. Um, and so when to come back and how much control to keep became the sticking point. Okay. So ultimately, they decided that they'd given them through April 15th, and they also followed the requirements in the Constitution for a set for themselves to be back on April 15th in a special session. And they can then either end his declaration or they can continue it. Now, should enough of them get the virus or something else happen that a quorum could, quorum could not come back, then he could continue it without them. I see. Are you sorry you asked? No, I, I think that was because uh, I think there's a lot of folks, including myself, that just trying to understand, you know, you can only read so much in the, in the papers. Um, yeah, and there's only so much you can read. There's only so much you can listen to. I mean, without number one getting overwhelmed but number two kind of trying to cut through right the opinion bleeding into the facts and it's uh right. it's a lot i mean you see that on the federal side where we've got you know a lot of debate going on within news items and it's it's you know frustrating we're trying to get down to what's actually going on and what's happening um, well that's a great segue scott into kind of discussing a little bit you know also as you look at the federal side of things um you know you have the declaration of an emergency in, in the state of Georgia, but you also have an emergency declaration for the nation as well. Um, and I know that those designations grant certain powers that come with that designation to those in, in highest office, governor and president. Um, do you guys have some thoughts on what that means for those folks in, in high office? I think when you're thinking of the emergency declaration, one word kind of stands out and that's flexibility. It kind of gives the president, being on the federal side, it gives the president the opportunity to kind of reallocate some money that otherwise he would not have the power to do. And also to cut restrictions um, and regulations where otherwise he wouldn't have the power to do. Um, just to, to kind of streamline things. And we've seen it the last uh, week or so where the president's been able to utilize the private sector in conjunction with with the, the public side and getting some of the testing done, getting some of the manufacturing done. And we saw today he instituted Defense uh, Production Act to try to increase some of the production of, of medical devices and, and products to speed things up a little bit, to kind of get things into the into the hands of people who need them. Um, he also um, is taking two temporary hospital ships and is put, posting them, you know, one in New York and one I think he says is gonna be on the West Coast somewhere. Um, so that's where you see that kind of emergency declaration taking hold. I mean, it also can utilize the rest of the federal government, um, all the other agencies that may not be directly, you know, as much as something can be not directly impacted by something like this, but where you can say, okay, you need to focus on mobilizing to help this one thing that we're, we're focused on. Um, so, I mean, you see, you see it in the news, you, you know, the president's having a press conference uh, at least one a day, it seems like for the past week or so. Um, with his team of Vice President Pence trying to find a way to, to use all the resources the federal government has, as it's, as it's just, has in its disposal to, to combat uh, whatever you want to call this thing, yeah, the coronavirus, the COVID-19, the China virus. And, and it, it also sounds like it also gives 
the president an opportunity to um, not only battle the health crisis, but battle the, the economic crisis that's potentially looming. So Right, and we're seeing that a little bit with, um, with some of these pieces of legislation that are, that are coming through the House and Senate. You know, we have the leave bill that's in front of the Senate, I think, today, and they were making some changes to that. Um, there's also a lot of talk about an economic package. I saw the last number I saw was $1 trillion economic package that's going to give, uh, you know, there's still talk, there's still negotiations, um, either a bailout or loans to the airline and hotel industry. Um, it sounds like the idea of cutting a check to every American, every American adult, um, and just giving them some, a chunk of money to spend. That's game, gaining a lot of, I, to the point, I don't, I don't want to say it's gaining traction. I think to the point it's going to be included in any sort of package. Um, what level I think is going to be the questions. I think you can see that coming out through in the next week or two, because I think the Senate's going to try to take something up this week if they get a deal. Um, in terms of schools, though, you know, going back to the responses, you know, part of that leave bill that they're, they're hearing today um, kind of removes requirements for some of the nutrition areas that help local state, local districts and schools and states um, keep feeding their students and taking that money that they're using, that would they would be using to feed kids in schools today, um, to feed kids who aren't in schools today and kind of give some flexibility there just to help out. Because um, you, you mentioned the economic crisis. Well, that's also kind of a crisis is, you know, a lot of uh, you know, people listening to this podcast know uh, a lot of kids, they get their meals at school, you know, big cities, small towns, middle of nowhere. Um, they eat at school. And so we, they're, they're using the, you know, kind of going back to the emergency declaration and then this legislation, finding a way to kind of get around some red tape to feed kids and, and, and keep things afloat for the next few weeks. Yeah. yeah. And Angela, do you, do you, what are you seeing from, from a state perspective? Do you see some, some similarities as Scott's just described? Yeah, I think that that's one reason why the governor went ahead and declared the public health emergency. Um, that not only gives him the power now that it's been ratified to streamline some of the decision making and to make some decisions that he couldn't previously, like ordering the schools closed um, for the 10 days that he has so far. Um, but also, I believe it gives access to some federal resources um, once the emergency has been declared. Um, so. Um, you know, we left the 21 budget um, to the end, and the House has passed a version of it with the virus and the effect that we've seen with people staying home, uh, everybody trying to do the social distancing that we've been asked to do. Um, the president recommended nobody be in a group of more than 10 people, um, things like that. We're seeing um, less people going out We've seen movie theaters closing, uh, other businesses shortening their hours or closing. Clearly there's gonna be a revenue impact here. Um, how much, we don't know. For how long, we don't know. Um, so I suspect that when the General Assembly gets back to doing the budget, that it may look very different than it did when the House did it because um, I just can't believe that there's gonna be the same amount of revenue available. Um, that there was when the governor originally uh, did the revenue estimate. Um, the airlines are taking a huge hit, and of course we have Delta here, um, and they do get a tax credit that gets argued about a lot, but they also provide a lot of jobs, as do the other airlines at, the, at Hartsfield. 
um, and the other airports in the state um, with less uh, product, fewer products coming out of China and other countries. The Savannah ports have been hit. Um, and so a lot of the, the money makers um, in this state um, are having problems. Southwest Georgia is still recovering from Hurricane Michael. Um, and the federal help for that um, has just finally begun to come in. And so I, I think we might have to deal with a much more austere budget than we were originally looking at. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, it'll all depend on kind of how long this lasts. I mean, yes, very much. I mean, if this thing, like if, the, if all the, the optimistic projections take hold and it's, hey, three weeks to lower the, you know, flatten the curve and we can start getting back out after three weeks or two weeks or whatever, then the, in, that fiscal impact will, will lessen. I mean, we'll be able to see people spending money in, in restaurants and bars and, and, and going to hopefully Braves games over the summer and things will get better. Um, the shorter the timeline, the better. Right. Now, if we start seeing a mutation of the virus and, you know, things like that, then and it lasts into the summer or lasts into fall. Yeah, I don't even, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's too bad that we didn't have a premium sales tax on toilet paper and paper towels and Kleenex. <laughs> we could have made some extra money. <laughs> now, there are a few neat niche industries that are that are making money right now, but um, is there anything else that you guys would like to add before we sign off? I think we've covered a good bit. I think so. I mean, I think this is just going to be a time for us to to have patience and just trying to see how what's going to play out because nobody, I, realistically, nobody knows what's going on. Um, you have studies come out. Yeah, I saw yesterday in the news two studies that came out in the same day that directly contradicted each other. Um, where this is going to go, nobody really knows. Um, it's just kind of riding the wave, if you will, until we get to a place of certainty. Right. I, I think everybody just has to stay calm and, and follow the guidelines um, and not panic. Um, we probably will see the numbers going up because um, our capacity to test um, is increasing. Exactly. Um, Which ultimately and, is a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing that, we, that the capacity to test is increasing. And I think that they've also been working on some ways to get the test results back faster. Um, so that if people need to be quarantined or isolated or whatever, um, they're able to do that. Um, the state has prepared facilities uh, at the state level um, if they're needed uh, for people. So I, I think that we just stay calm and just watch it as it, as it comes and be ready to do what everybody needs to do and wash yeah. your hands <laughs> wash your hands order takeout from local restaurants i mean yes keep local businesses afloat uh yeah. we all i mean this is a time where we all need to kind of come together yeah and stay absolutely. apart come together to better apart <laughs> <laughs> absolutely which is the whole reason we are doing this podcast through uh an online meeting um but we appreciate all that you guys are doing and have done and and uh we look forward to what unfolds next and and hopefully find a resolution sooner than later um but for this episode of the gsba podcast that'll do it thanks for joining us and for more episodes uh check out gsba.com <laughs>